Well, dear friends, it's a, a great privilege to be with you again and to share with you on this rather special day, uh, Mothering Sunday. I've called my reflections Mothering in a Broken World. Let's pray. Oh God, in the midst of the needs of our world, and on this special Sunday, grant to us all to have listening ears to your word for us today, that we may become the people you want us to be. Amen. Now, I have a, I have a confession to make. It's not a long one, but a confession. Whenever my mother when I was leaving the house, she would always make sure, have you got everything, Howard? Have you got your bus money? Have you got your bag? Have you got your books? Uh, it, she would have said to me, have you got your specs? But I was younger then. Uh, and uh, if she'd have been there when I left home in Winchester uh, two days ago to come up to London, she would have said to me, have you got your best Sunday shoes? And I would have said, oh, no, I haven't. I've got my ordinary ones, you see. But I do have my posh socks on. Uh, so forgive me for not having my best Sunday black shoes shiny like uh, the superintendent and Reverend Lansford with their shiny shoes. So mothers, we all have them and we all need them. I want to say that mothering is bigger than just mothers. Uh, we've heard about the, the rejoicing with natural mothers, with spiritual mothers, with foster mothers, with a whole range in which we can participate. There's that lovely African saying that it takes a village to raise a child. And there's a sense in which we're kind of in our contemporary British society, we've rather lost that or maybe never found it properly. But we focus on biological mothers, but not only women, but men, fathers, aunts, uncles, neighbours, friends. They've all been part of that which has enabled us to become the people that we are. But we celebrate motherhood this year in a broken world. A world in which for two years we've dealt with COVID-19. And it's had a, a dramatic impact on all of our lives. And there's a a resurgence of it just at the moment, and we're concerned about that. We're distraught at the war in Ukraine as though somehow we've simply not learned the lessons of the 20th century. And how do we say to people like Putin or even Xi Jinping or, 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 or people in Brazil and Belarus, this is not the way to run the world in our contemporary society. 
we're frustrated by the fact that in many parts of the world, actually including our own, we have people who've abandoned any pretense at a moral compass as leaders. We're campaigning about climate change, but we're not sure that people are really listening. And to cap it all, there's a rise in the cost of living. But I have to say to you, according to the scriptures, mothering, mothering was never in an idealized world. When the prophet Isaiah spoke, his world was collapsing. And yet he speaks about God's kehesed, God's constant love, God's loyal love, sometimes translated in our English Bibles as loving kindness. And he likens that constant loyal love to the love and the care and the nurture of a mother. Now, I want to say that Isaiah is not saying that God is, is a mother, but like a mother. In the way, I think that when Jesus speaks with his disciples and they say, Lord, you pray in a completely different way. We've been taught to pray, starting our prayers with Lord God, King of the universe, or Lord God, high above the heavens. But you speak as to a friend. And so Jesus, as we know from Luke 11, says to his disciples, when you pray, say, Abba. That tender word used in the home by children. A, a tender word, maybe the child on the knee of the parent, Abba. The sense in which Jesus is giving them is that actually God is not, he is awesome, but he's not distant. God is right there alongside us. He is there to care for us, to nurture us, to help us, to strengthen us, to enable us. God is with you. So when you pray, pray to God as a friend. For you are in a relationship with God. Pray to a God who is intimate with all that you are and all that you hope to be. So say, Abba. But Jesus is not saying, this is about gender, as though God were male. No. God is close and tender. And Isaiah is saying this to his people. Now, the, the Bible introduces us to all kinds of mothers. Some, some are not very wise. Some are not very happy. Some are suffering. Some are joyful. And they mirror, in a way, the kind of experience that we have in mothering children and young people. Take, for instance, Sarah, early in the Old Testament, she gave birth when she was older. We remember today, 
older mothers and grandmothers who have the responsibility of raising children and grandchildren. Or think of Moses' mother, who hid her child in a basket to protect from the governing authorities who would have wanted to kill him. And we remember mothers today whose children are stolen or whose children are used for commercial gain or put in their children, men and women, put in their children, their families on trains in Kiev and other cities in Ukraine to send the West into safety. We think of the Egyptian princess who found the baby Moses and adopts him and raises him as her own child. And we remember today mothers and fathers who have adopted children and those mothers whose children have, for whatever reason, been adopted. But we think of the mother of David, who saw her son grow from the shepherd boy to be a great king. And, and she followed him with pride and joy. Sure, he made some mistakes, but for the most part, she had pride in him. Or we think of the widow of Zarephath. She was concerned that when her bowl of oil and flour ran out, there would be no food for her and her son, her child. There was famine in the land. And so we remember today mothers, fathers who were for whatever reason, raising their children alone, and for those who watch their children suffer because of famine or because of war. You see, the Bible's very contemporary. Or, or we remember mothers who kind of get it wrong, mothers and fathers. So the mother of Jacob and Esau who had a favorite in Jacob. Or the mother of James and John, who thought that her children, her sons, were so special, they deserved special treatment. But there's also Lois and Eunice, who for their son and grandson, Timothy, nurture him in the faith and raise him as a young Christian man. And we recall the women dotted right through the scriptures who find they cannot bear a child and they would have wished so to do. And so we remember all of that in the context of what I'm calling a broken world. What is it then that we celebrate? 
I think the first thing is nurture. We want the best for our children, for our grandchildren. We want to nurture in them the personal qualities of, of caring for others, of sharing what they have and sharing with others. We want them to explore ideas. We don't want them to go on an adventure of learning. We want them to be people who will welcome the stranger, to rejoice in the things that are good, to care for creation, and to seek their place in the world in which they can serve others. But we also want to nurture them in the faith. You know, it's, it's a home where people learn most about the faith. And the next place is in church, in junior church or Sunday school, whatever we call it, that actually we're sharing something of our faith in Jesus Christ with those who are young, children and young people as they grow up. In different parts of the world, they call it messy church, and they have it during the week, or Lego church. But you know, you and I have a great responsibility and a wonderful opportunity with the children and young people that we know to share something of our faith with them. There's a, a sense in which we live in this complex society, but there's something so simple about sharing faith. And the Bible Society and Scripture Union tell us that 96% of young children only hear the word Jesus as a swear word. That's a humongous number. And therefore, we as a church have a real responsibility to share our faith. Nurture, but also guidance. I guess we used to call it discipline. At least that's what my father used to call it. And sometimes discipline could be metered out. But guidance is a word I prefer. Guidance seeks to help others to understand the benefits of good practice. Guidance seeks to help people find right behavior and just decision-making. Guidance is not about compliance, but about actively thinking about and engaging with issues, some of which are personal, some of which are family, some of which are community, some of which are society. And the gospel has things to say about all of these things. So nurture and guidance, but profoundly modeling for all our failings and our faults. <coughs> Seeking to be the people we want our children to become. <coughs> now, this is not about perfection that you see in a magazine as though somehow we can all be wonderful. We know we're not. But we can be a good mother 
father, auntie, uncle, friend, neighbor. Excuse me. The greatest gift that we can give to the children in our care is lived faith. Honest, authentic discipleship. That starts with a love for God, a desire to follow Jesus, to care for others, to welcome the stranger, to be hospitable to all, to long for justice, and to seek to be at peace for all. Frankly, our children do not need more stuff. They need good role models. They need good role models. And we can be part of all that. The greatest gift that we can give is our care and a sense of safety and security for our children that they know that whatever happens, they're loved and cared for. When they get things well and right and when they get things wrong and blow it. For young children, it's as simple as knowing there will be someone to pick me up from school or nursery. There will be food on the table. There is a bed I can sleep in. And these are really, really basic things in our contemporary life. But actually, if you're in Ukraine and Yemen and Syria, they're not easily found. And in some parts of our own communities, similarly, children are at risk. And as young people grow up, they need to be able to know that whatever they say, they're still loved and cared for. And whenever they get things wrong, we're with them. Just as the Father is with us, so we have that responsibility to those children in our care. Now, many of the women in the Bible were strong and courageous. When we look at Mary, you know, I think that we do her an injustice because we consign her to a wardrobe of blue and then consider her to be compliant and serene. But when you read her song, Magnificat, when you read it there in Luke chapter 2, it's full of biblical imagery that a, normally a girl of her age <coughs> and in that first century would simply not know about. It's full of the desire for justice and a change in society. It's strong and hopeful. And then as young parents, they flee the might of an army and they become migrants. And then later, we find her confident in her son. And at the, uh, the wedding at Cana, she says to the servants, when the wine runs out, whatever he tells you, do it. And that's what 
a word for us as well. And then, as we were thinking earlier, at the cross, where is she? The blokes, apart from John, the blokes, the disciples, they've run away. But Mary is there. Her friends are there. John is there. She sees the pain of her dying son. And as parents, we can see all of this played out. We have a part to play, each one of us, in keeping children and young people safe and secure and confident, of helping them find their place in learning and in the community, of nurturing them in faith, of seeing them through from birth through into adulthood. I think that grandparents, aunts and uncles, older friends, can have a really considerable impact on children and young people. Offering guidance and showing constant love, and above all, modeling the very grace and kindness we wish for our children and young people. The passage from Colossians that was read for us speaks about being clothed in love, which binds everything in harmony, about making peace the umpire of our life, about letting the teaching of Christ dwell in our hearts, and in everything, being thankful. If we put those clothes, Paul starts that passage by saying, clothe yourself in love and peace and thankfulness and the word of Christ. Then, <coughs> then you will be a model of Christian adulthood to those who are children and your people in our care. May we find God's grace to be such people of Christian devotion and living so that others too may find faith and follow Christ. Amen.